Hello, I'm Bruce Malcolm, and this is Denise Malcolm. We're proud to share with you this podcast series, Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Malcolm Foundation. Each episode will feature practical insights on how to teach your child safety in our world today. We will help parents and carers understand and navigate the challenging world of child sexual abuse. What child sexual abuse is, the behaviours and signs to be wary of, and how to respond if you are worried about this with children you know. Our host, Walkley Award-winning journalist Nance Haxon, will talk with survivors, parents, leading researchers and professionals working on the front line in this area to give you the tools and resources you need. It's time for difficult conversations on this hidden topic. This podcast talks openly about child abuse, child sexual abuse, child sexual exploitation and harmful sexual behaviours. We are aware the content raised in this podcast series may be triggering by some listeners. There are links in our show notes for organisations that can support you. Please feel free to take a breather when you need it. Denise, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us on the Bright Futures podcast. Great to be here. Wonderful to have you and to really talk about how the Daniel Morecambe Foundation is now in its 18th year of operation. That's quite incredible. What a legacy you've created. Absolutely amazing how the years have slid by. But, you know, it surprises Denise and myself and our family and everyone connected at the Daniel Morecambe Foundation how Daniel is still not forgotten. It's a moment in time and his legacy continues today. And in fact, here we are with this podcast reliving some of the important milestones in our journey and um, and we've still got some way to go. It was about a year after Daniel went missing, I turned around to Bruce and I said, you know, we, we need to do something. We need to, I want to start a foundation. Um, we said, what happened to Daniel's not right. Uh, he didn't have the skills. He didn't know what to do when he was abducted. We didn't know at the time what happened to him, but we just wanted other children to be safe and it took us a few months. A few months later, we started the foundation. And here we are 18 years later, truly. So many of these foundations, you know, fade or, or just run out of steam. But really, it's a credit to you both that it's still going and so strong. And here we are in this great, you know, headquarters here at the Sunshine Coast and all the programs that we'll be talking about today as yeah. well that you've established. Yeah, look, um, a lot of people, Pat, Denise and myself, on the back and think all the, the heavy lifting and the work is uh, done by us. Certainly in the early days, in the early years, it was done by us. We had no money, we had no staff, but we had a lot of energy and a lot of supporters that wanted to contribute in their own way to making sure that Daniel's not forgotten, but we can all keep kids safe. So, you know, as the years have slid by, uh, Denise and myself profile is still very much the parents of Daniel and Daniel's tragic story still lives on. But what's important is um, we've now got sufficient funding to employ and engage professionals. And these people have uh, enormous skill and knowledge and insight into protecting kids. And uh, primary prevention is number one. We, we want to uh, get to and improve the safety of kids before the issues have happened um, in terms of therapy, of course, which is incredibly important. But if we can stop those crimes happening, that's got to be the way to go. Well, what are some of your proudest moments, do you think, in, in this time when you look back and all those changes you've been through? Personally, my proudest moment is our day for Daniel. In 2005, uh, we had our first day for Daniel. We sat down and emailed just a few schools in Queensland and asked them if they could have a, a safety day and have the children wear something red. And 
Last year, we had 6,500 schools and early learning centres register and participate in Day for Daniel. So schools all around the country are doing something, you know, even daycare centres, children are three, four years old, kindergartens, you know, high schools, kids all around the country. And people come up to us all the time and say, yeah, my child does Day for Daniel at the school. Uh, we wear red. Uh, they came home with some safety messages. Uh, that's that's what I believe is our biggest achievement. Yeah, it's really uh, a, a monumental shift, I think, in uh, in over the last couple of decades, where we often say, uh, talk early, talk often, and keep talking. So we've broken down that barrier, and within the Daniel Morecambe Child Safety Curriculum, there are three key words: recognise, react, and report. So, breaking those down really simply: recognise potential danger through your body clues. So if you sense something that's not right, um, you're, you're shaking, you're worried, you're sweating, you know, butterflies in the tummy, all those sorts of things, do something. Don't sit there and think, what will I do? Actually do something. So get yourself to a safe location, react, get to that location as quickly as possible. Often you can have a plan, think ahead, what would I do if this unsafe situation arose? But most importantly, and this is the cultural change, still got work to do, but it has significantly changed in two decades report. Please tell an adult, a responsible adult, why you felt unsafe, why you got those body clues, or unfortunately, if something has happened to you, report it. It is never your fault. So adult survivors, young kids, never your fault. Come forward. We're going to look after you. You will be believed. You will be cared for. I suppose and hopefully that's an encouraging aspect of, of what we've seen in the last couple of decades is there is that change of attitudes underneath, isn't there, that you will be believed? There has to be. There has to be that change. Denise and I have visited more than 700 schools, mostly in Queensland, but also many, many right around the country. And the memory I have of those schools, of course, we're talking to kids, but the genuine memory are adult survivors that come up to us. Um, you know, we're just at the bakery or getting fuel for the truck, whatever it may be. Countless, dozens and dozens of people come up to us and sometimes you can see their chin quivering, you can see the tear in the eye. They're First Nation people, they're European settlers. They come up to us, sometimes unable to talk, and you just know. No word has been spoken. You know They've got a story they've never disclosed about. And some of them, I can, I can, as I'm talking, I can visualise their faces. And that's one of the reasons I get up each and every day is to make sure, mate, I haven't forgotten you. Your story's important. And I'm going to make sure that the kids of today, if something has happened, they're not going to be an 85-year-old survivor that has kept that secret for 75 years. Now, we're going to make sure that if something's happened, we'll get it right immediately. It would happen on a weekly basis, no matter where we go. Just in Coles or Woolworths getting some milk, we'll have someone come up to us and say, thank you very much for the work that you do. And and quite often they will say to us, that happened to us when we were a child and we never disclosed. We didn't know what to do. So, we, so thank you for doing what Or they we weren't believed. You know, maybe they did disclose to mum or dad or family member or maybe the police. And, um, you know, they weren't believed at that particular time. Swept under the carpet, you know, don't bring shame on our family, a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, that's not the message we're saying today. If you do come forward, you will be believed and you will be cared for. So we've got to get that right. And as you mentioned, that prevention aspect is so important now. And that's what this Bright Futures podcast really is all about. Talking about what how, how can we empower parents and carers, really, and what things they need to be looking out for as well? 
Well, I think we need parents and carers to actually uh, listen to the kids, be involved with their children. Don't let them sit there on their devices, various chat rooms, whatever they're up to, and think they're safe because absolutely guaranteed, as you're listening to this podcast, kids are being tracked down by predators. They are unsafe. So please listen to us and do something. Chat with the kids, be involved. Who are you talking to? What sort of messages are you you communicating? And, And often parents don't appreciate that the innocent game that their child is playing puts them in contact with people globally. And unfortunately, not everyone out there is going to be a safe person. They do pose threats, harm to your children. So we want the parents and carers to sit up and take note. I better get involved. I better do something. And what is it I can do to help my kids stay safe? And that is be a parent. This area of child exploitation and and sexual abuse, that's sadly one of the things that has changed quite dramatically. As you mentioned, devices, it's a huge area that children are quite vulnerable in, aren't they? Well, children, when Daniel went missing, he didn't have a mobile phone. Uh, His twin brother had just got one and Dean, our oldest son, had one. Unfortunately, Daniel didn't have one, so he wasn't able to give us a call or text when he was in trouble. But there's, you know... They played on Yahoo and just chatted to a few friends at school. 18 years, 19 years later, they got the mobile phone in the pocket. They've got the internet online 24 hours a day. They have no escape. They're on different apps, uh, different games. They're just chatting to people that they don't know online pretty much all the time. And as Bruce said, it's the parents and the carers do not know what their children are doing. They just... Mum and Dad are sitting there at the kitchen table. They've got their own mobile phones. They're texting and on their social media. The kids go to their room and they're just playing games and talk to people for hours on end. We need to be more aware of what's going on. Most definitely. And, and parents are often, very sadly, clueless. They think the world's a beautiful place. Largely it is. But there are dangers that exist out there, you know. Would, would you let your kid cross the road without, you know, a young child, without supervision. You hold their hand. You help them out. You know, you say, let's test this. Look to the right, look to the left, etc. You know, is it safe to cross? So there's a lot of education that goes into crossing roads and, and simple activities like that as we grow up. And yet we are prepared to walk into Harvey Norman or whatever store, spend 2000 bucks and say, there you go. I've got your phone for you. And everything's rosy from there. But That's the start of your worries. Even our six-year-old grandson was in the back of the car a couple of months ago and he said, Nana Pa, this person knows my name. He was playing Roblox. So, no, we took the iPad from him, had a look at a couple of the messages, told the person to to go away and then, you know, we mentioned to um, his parents that he he probably shouldn't be on the Roblox game. They took the, the app off, but there are so many stories of children playing different games. The parents think they're they're harmless, but these games are not harmless. Mm, they think something like Roblox is just for young kids and, you know, that they're reasonably safe, but... Yeah. No. None of these games are safe. No app is, is safe. Yeah. And he was... Um, he's six years old. He was genuinely enthusiastic and, and encouraged. Oh, wow, someone's going to show me how to play the game. You know, who is this person? How does he know your name? So we suspected that was a predator and here we were even though we are involved in every single day of our life in educating the broader public about uh, how to stay safe online, here was an example 
in the privacy of our own car and it's happening to us. So it must happen thousands of times every day. And unfortunately, a small percentage, but a significant number are trapped. They send photos, they find themselves exposed to the criminal activity of these people. They're lured into a trap and um, unfortunately bad things happen from there. So let's break that down a bit. What, what are some of the, the aspects there that we can learn from, I suppose? It's really communication. It's, isn't it great that your grandson told you about it? So it's We're making really sure... proud. Oh, you did the right thing. Making know? sure that you've got that open communication about anything because often children wouldn't even know the dangers that are out there. That's part of the problem, isn't it? Totally. Like he could have kept that to himself. And many, many times, probably a vast proportion of them, um, they do keep it to themselves. Um, but he had the confidence to say, Nana Pa, I, you know, who's this fellow? He's chatting to me. He knows my um, name. But he was excited at the same time. But, um, you know, we immediately suspected, what's this about? And, um, you know, it was unfolding. And, uh, of course, we shut it down pretty quickly. We told the so-and-so where to go and to stop chatting to kids. So we hope he's listened to us and... Uh, and doing something more responsible than, than chatting to six-year-olds. You found that there's a few warning signs, too, that parents and carers should keep an eye out for. What, what are some of those? Oh, definitely mood swings, change of uh, character in the, in the young person that they're dealing with. They might take their device to a private space within the home, you know, whether it's the bathroom, maybe, or certainly their bedroom. We would not encourage that at all. Like, it should be in, um, you know, a public area of the home, so the family room, the kitchen, that sort of thing. So there are passers-by and mum and dad, the carers, whoever it is, can take an interest in the game they're playing, who they're chatting to, that sort of thing. Sometimes uh, the predators may send the child a gift voucher so they can continue on the different games that they're playing. But they could be a gift voucher, you know, for Coles or Harvey Norman or Kmart, anything like that. So the children may have some money. You know, they may have sent a photograph or done something. And, the and that's the reward. Yes. They'll get a gift voucher of some type. It could be parcels coming in the mail. They might receive some jewellery or some lingerie or, or you know, some be, sort of clothing. Sometimes it's just free games within the game they're playing. And, and mum and dad, the carer, is not going to be aware of that. But the, the youngster is potentially trapped. You know, it's, it's send me a, a photo of you in your underwear. And the youngster thinks, well, I want more games. I want to be successful in this. So they do that. And then the sextortion trail continues send me a more risky photo send me a photo of your sister or your brother or whatever it is and they're trapped what's some of the key messages that you really want to get across to parents and carers today well be involved uh, with your kids please keep the communication channels open be involved even though you're not terribly interested in roblox or any other games um sit with them and play those games um get involved but Number one is be there. Be that person, that responsible adult. So if they do find themselves in an, you know, with an issue or the, the youngster wants to disclose something from innocent to not so innocent, maybe it's not about that youngster. Maybe it's about your son or daughter's friend at school and they've exchanged and, and uh, had their friends told them a secret. You can help that particular person by being responsible. So seek help where possible, but mostly be there and do something. Don't be the person that listens to that young child and says, well, that's a terrible thing. Now let's move on. We need to check it out.
the Daniel Morecambe Foundation has a number of programs specifically targeting different areas. But one thing I noticed was that you've got this program educating people about harmful sexual behaviours. This is an area that people find hard to talk about, but can you tell us a bit about why you started that program and really what that's trying to achieve? Yeah, a number of years ago, uh, Changing Futures, which has uh, rolled into Bright Futures, is an early intervention program where youngsters are identified that are portraying and demonstrating harmful sexual behaviour. And you may well ask, what is Bruce and Denise Morecambe's interest in that and how did that come about? Well, it came about at the coronial inquest into Daniel's abduction and suspected murder all those years ago, where as a family, uh, we sat there at the coronial inquest in the courtroom and listened to the testimony of a number of witnesses where we were trying to establish what the hell had happened to our son. And one of those witnesses was a fellow called Brett Peter Cowan. And we sat in the courtroom barely four metres from this man giving evidence And it was chilling, absolutely chilling. But at the same time, we exited the courtroom at the end of each day thinking, what is it we could do listening to that tale that will make the world a safer place? And he was identifying situations in his life when he was 9, 10, 11 years old, where he had sexual relations with younger kids, perhaps six to eight-year-old which is frightening in its own respect, but he had a a sexual relationship which started when he was 10 with a six-year-old, and that continued for nine years. He, at the same time, highlighted dozens of cases where he'd interfered with youngsters in a a community environment, dozens of youngsters, when he was perhaps 10 years old and they were six to eight years old. Both genders and As he progressed into his teenage years, that number of youngsters that he offended against perhaps escalated to a hundred. So by the time he'd 15, he'd interfered with a hundred younger children. He was a child himself. And remember, this started when he was 10 and 11 years old. And a lot of this was like riding his bike and dinking children and and interfering with them or even being in the local swimming pool. The council pool was um, his method of activity. He he would interfere and grope kids in the pool and and change rooms, that sort of thing. So, you know, we were horrified that, you know, again, Denise and I are not uh, tertiary trained. Uh, We're a couple of parents. We're Daniel's mum and dad. But, um, you know, we had a gift, if I put it like that, and that gift is Daniel's tragic story. And his legacy continues because we sat up and observed and noticed a gap And that gap was a 10-year-old that is demonstrating sexual activity far beyond what he should know. So we thought, what would happen if, at that tender young age, 10, 11, perhaps 12, 13 years old, his parents, the adults around him, perhaps his teachers, identified that behavior as being unusual and far advanced, and he was provided therapeutic care that would moderate that behavior. Would Daniel still be here? And all those young kids that he's interfered with over many decades, they would be in a much happier place. Because it sounds like his story is not isolated. This is a problem, harmful sexual behaviors in in young children. It is. It is, yes. Um, 
most young children grow out of it, but clearly there is a small percentage. And and these days, let's let's appreciate the time that we're in. Um, you know, in the 2020s, um, technology-assisted harmful sexual behaviour, um, there is very little data on the effect that technology has on young tender minds. What we're talking about with Cowan was back in the late... 70s and right through the the 80s so it was a very different time in the world and um, you know the internet hadn't been invented and laptops and and communication on a global scale chat rooms um, you know they're many decades away so the world is a more dangerous place having seen what these predators get up to back in the 80s but hopefully we can moderate that behavior because let's think about Cowan we were sitting there in the courtroom listening to his evidence about him. And this is his voice. It's not reading a, you know, a medical record. This is him almost boasting of his sexual activity when he was even a preteen. And I can, I can relive, I'm thinking about it as I'm speaking, him saying, oh, you know, they enjoyed it. You know, these six and eight-year-olds enjoyed it. He was proud of it. what he'd done. Yeah. He picked up Daniel to have fun with him. <laughs> That's not fun. And I do know that um, he provided evidence at two other court hearings where he was found guilty of raping children. Um, and uh, one of those was in Darwin. And he, he not only raped that child, but he almost killed, murdered that child. And he left him for dead in the, in the boot of a car. That child did survive. It was a miracle. But he did survive. And we've met that boy. Yes. And, <laughs> and um, you know, he's... A, he sadly is a very damaged adult. And um, Cowan has identified that the youngster would have enjoyed that. The youngster was nearly murdered, mate. Come off it. You know? The thing was, Cowan's sexual activities escalated over the years. He started when he was nine, ten years old. By the time he was in his early 20s, 30s, his crimes got so bad that he nearly murdered the young boy in Darwin. He nearly murdered the younger, increased. a young boy in Brisbane, and then he did murder Daniel. Yeah, uh, and certainly... It got worse and worse all the time. And what he'd done in between, we don't know. Yeah, and um, it certainly has been an interesting journey for us as well, because uh, when Cowan was found guilty, a number of his school friends, former school friends, and a, a number of his former teachers emailed us or even spoke to us at the foundation and they identified I used to teach that particular person you know all those years ago and they were identifying that they saw that young person that young Brett Cowan he had issues and some even told the story to us that he would parade around the playground that sort of thing you know without any pants on sometimes with an erection so they saw that but they didn't know what to do Three decades on, it's time to sit up and take note. We need to correct that so he doesn't turn into an absolute monster when he becomes an adult. So what are some of the interventions that you think we we need to know that people can, can do some of the resources that are available now? Yeah, look, um, I think uh, the Bright Futures program is all about opening the door and opening the, the uh, communication channels and educating our frontline workers. So this is teachers, police officers, of course parents, healthcare workers, uh, child safety officers, 
It's educating frontline workers on recognising potential danger, but most importantly, doing something about it. And that's what Bright Futures is all about. This is using today's tools, today's knowledge to the best advantage and, and making sure that we do something and learn from past mistakes. And Bright Futures is very much at the cutting edge of this. And you've got a number of programs now, like Walk Tall, that national counselling program for child victims of crime. That's doing some powerful work as well. Yeah, we fund a, a counselling service with a, with another charity, Act for Kids, uh, and they counsel children right around Australia. Uh, these children have are victims of crime. They've been sexually or physically abused or had a family member murdered. These are children, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Blacktown, Broadmeadows, in Adelaide, uh, right around the country. We have other programs like our Keeping Kids Safe suite of videos. We've got over 35 different videos on our, on our website. We started those back in 2006 and, and they got better and better over the years. At the moment, we're working on that SUS. We're also working on Australia's Biggest Child Safety Lessons. We've got two coming out this year. Over the last few years, we've had two coming out. Uh, just especially with when COVID came out, we had, a, had to increase our resources because a lot of children were online at home. This year, um, it's all about consent. Last year, we had it all about your body parts using the right words. So every year, we come up with a, with a new resource and a new plan. So everything we do is tested, evaluated, and the children just love them. And of course, our day for Daniel is the last Friday of October every year, and that's just getting bigger and better each year as well. And we like to think that the resources that we produce over the last 15 or so years are very much cutting edge. So um, we like to be at the forefront and test the system. So naming of body parts, you know, is often a taboo. Lots of people think, oh, you, you, you can't say penis. You can't say vagina or breast or mouth or, you know, those traditional private body parts. But we said, well, why can't we? Why is that important? So if, if they're reporting, if something happens, you've got to be able to name what happened to the child. Absolutely. If a child goes through the court system, they can't say, oh, someone touched my down there my pencil or something. Yeah, yes. my willy. Like, yeah. like there's the, too many nicknames. The, the, cases, the cases are just thrown out. The children need to say that the perpetrator did this to me, have the correct words, and then the judge can can go from there and say, well, yes, yeah. You know, this this has happened to the child. Sure. If they just say, you know, they touch my woo-woo or my pencil, things like that, it just gets thrown out of court. Yeah. So, you know, predators exist and thrive in a world of silence. If you speak up and speak out and tell your story, you take that power away from them. So, you know, that's what we've learned. And when somebody discloses for the first time to us, we say, don't be ashamed. You have a really powerful story and you can help others. So be like us. Tell your story. Don't be ashamed of it. Tell your story and you will help not only yourself, but you'll help other people that have come out from the shadows and uh, and discuss and disclose situations in their life where something has happened to them or somebody they know. So please come forward. You're doing the right thing. So what is Australia's biggest child safety lesson? What's what's that going to do? Yeah, look, we have um, two each year for lower primary schools. So typically your um, early learning centre. So somebody, a youngster, four to seven years old and upper primary school. So you're eight to 12 year old. 
often the messages are very similar, a little more mature for the uh, older age group, of course, but how they're delivered can be very different as well. The last few years, we've had an animation for the younger kids, and we use kids as um, an interview-style panel and an interesting game show. Again, um, the kids are in control. And, you know, one, one we had was the Boomer Challenge, which was the youngsters again um, being the heroes. They were trying to educate their grandparents <laughs> on the dangers that exist oh, online. Great. So it's a little bit of humour. <laughs> it puts the, the kids in control. And, um, you know, obviously there's important subtle messaging that's incorporated in within all of our educational products that we put out. But, um, yeah, naming of body parts, body autonomy is, is the key. Taking away the silence that exists and has existed for decades and probably forever, the, the stigma that's involved with that and saying it's never your fault, it's their fault. Uh, and um, we, we need to make sure that we're on the front foot and identifying these potential predators, hopefully getting them before they become adult monsters and corralling that demonstrated harmful sexual behaviour into perhaps a safer world for us all. But all, all of our resources have got three key words, and that's recognise, react, report. So whether it's for a preschooler or for someone in high school or the grandparents, always have our three words, and it's the most important word is report. We want children to report, but we want children to be believed and protected. So if they do report to an adult, to one of their, someone on their safety helpers, these people need to listen to them and then get the help that they need. So the website's a good place to start? Yep, danielmorkham.com.au. We have all our resources. We have videos. We have fact sheets. We have conversation cards. Uh, we have Morky Safety Mission. We have our Australia's Biggest Child Safety Lessons, our Boomer Challenge. All the resources are on our website. And everything's free, so there is no excuse. So uh, whether it's the evening, um, school holidays, sit down with your youngster and say, let's have a look at this. Watch a couple of videos each Sunday night or get in a routine. You will protect your kids. It's really important. But what I want to say is do something. Don't sit there and say, if only I had educated the youngster before. I didn't know this was going to happen in my suburb, to my family, in my area. We thought that. But unfortunately, predators are out there and they're going to gain access to your kids unless you do something. This podcast series... Advice for parents and carers on how to best prevent child sexual abuse. Are there any experts that you're particularly looking forward to hearing? You've had a look at some of the people we'll be talking to? Yes, and people that are coming to the forums are Professor Simon Hackett and we've got Dr Gemma McGimmon, very well-educated people and they're right into the harmful sexual behaviours and they're the experts. And have the insights into that for parents to go forward with all that well-armed with information. Totally, Yes. We're really excited by the Bright Futures uh, program and what that will deliver over the next couple of years. Um, we think that it will reduce the numbers of Cowans that are out there, and that can only be a good thing. It's about solving the problem before the am- like For argument's sake, if you had the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff because people are falling off the cliff, how about we build the fence at the top of the cliff and we don't need the ambulance? So that is an analogy. We just want to stop the predators before the crimes have happened and we won't have the damaged souls that um, unfortunately we see that are out there each and every day. So please share our support, come on this journey with us, but most importantly, support Daniel's legacy, 
support the Daniel Morecambe Foundation and never forget Daniel. Bruce, Denise, thank you so much for joining us for the Bright Futures podcast. Thank you. And that's the end of this episode of Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Make sure you go to the links in our show notes for resources and support. Remember, parents and carers, you've got this. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast provider and give us a like on your socials. And if you found this helpful, please share far and wide and rate and review it too so more people can find us. Even if it's just telling a friend about this podcast, that's great. We want to empower as many parents and carers as possible each and every episode. You can support the work of the Daniel Morecambe Foundation by visiting our website and donating or call us for more information on 1300 326 435. Thank you for never forgetting, Daniel. You guys are very much part of the solution. Please complete the survey. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again next episode.